Welcome to episode four of All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss and the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. And today we have two of our fellow colleagues at Child's Voice on the show with us, Rollin Cooper and Laura Strika. Welcome, Rollin and Laura. Hi. Hi. We'll be having a panel discussion today um, about Rollin and Laura's experience transitioning from bag therapy to bagless therapy and Jessica's and my experience with bagless therapy. For those of you who are wondering what those words mean, we'll define them for you once we get into the main discussion, so stay tuned. Rollin is a teacher of the deaf and is the director of our early intervention program at Child's Voice. And Laura is a speech-language pathologist and our head therapist at Child's Voice. Both are listening and spoken language certified. Rollin and Laura, why don't you tell us about your roles here at Child's Voice? So I provide home-based early intervention speech and oral rehabilitation therapy. And then I also lead um, our toddler group um, along with Tatum here at the Chicago Center. And then I provide auditory verbal therapy to a few kids over age three at our center in Chicago. And then I just also help with getting children into our toddler group program um, and running the center here in Chicago. Uh, And my role is really more administrative. So I'm here in Chicago half the time and in Wooddale half the time. I do um, initial evaluations every once in a while for families. And I don't really, right now I'm not um, providing any therapy services, though I have in the past and, and may do so again in the future. Yeah, cool. Rollin is also um, our Lissell's supervisor, and Laura observes some of our sessions as well. So we all work pretty closely together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a great mentor. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Do we want to jump into our main discussion? Yeah. As we said, we'll be having a conversation about bag therapy versus bagless therapy. Um, why don't we start by defining those terms? Do one of you want to define the difference between the two? So the way I interpret it is bag therapy kind of means bringing in a bag of toys into a family's home um, for a therapy session. So toys to um, do therapy with the child and with the family. And then bagless therapy means not bringing in a bag of toys and instead using the family's toys, materials, and their daily routines to help build listening and language. Awesome. We should probably preface this by saying this is really relevant to the early intervention population. Oh, yes. So this is, um, we're talking about when when professionals are going into families' homes um, for, for the birth to three population. Mm-hmm. So um, for those of you who are in EI, you will know this well. And for those of you who aren't, you will learn something new. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Roland, do you have anything to add or does anyone else have something else that goes to the definition your definition was great Laura (laughs) I would just also say like we'll probably say EI a lot and that means early intervention (laughs) yes perfect yeah um Rollin anything to add about the definitions or the difference between the two yeah I think one thing to to add to it is I think bag when I think of um, bringing in like a bag of toys, I also kind of think of it as as the therapy is more therapist-led, whereas bagless, and especially as Laura defined it, using the family's resources, mm-hmm. using their daily routines, I see it really more as a partnership between the parent and the therapist. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, 
because sometimes admittedly even I bring in toys, but I feel like there is a way to structure a session that even if you do bring in a bag of some toys, that looks more bagless if it's about what the family is doing or coaching the family and using those toys. Definitely. Do we want to talk a little bit about the transition that Child's Voice has made from bag to bagless? Roland, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I feel like in the field of early intervention in general, there's been a trend of going from things being more center-based services to things being home-based to things from things being more therapist directed to being more um, to using more of a coaching model with with families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think long ago, you know, most of the early intervention services all took place in the center. So the baby and the parent would come to the center, the therapist would really lead the session, the parent may or may not really have a big role in that. And just as the years have gone on, that's changed. So it kind of changed initially where services would be in the home, but the therapist still would come in, bring the materials, still kind of lead the activity. So it was similar to what was in the clinic, but just now in the home setting. Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of um, evolved into um, the therapist and the parent working together as a team. The therapist really showing the parent how to carry over strategies throughout the week. And I think that's just something that's gone on just in the field of early intervention in general. Mm-hmm. And I think at Child's Voice, we kind of followed a similar um, a similar evolution too with it. Things become became very focused on the partnership between the therapist and the parent and the important role that the parent plays in developing the child's listening and spoken mm-hmm. language. Most kids with typical hearing, that's how they learn how to talk is just through daily routines with their families, um, playing with toys, and they just sort of pick up on the language and become fluent speakers. Awesome. Laura, do you want to talk a little bit more about like why it's so important and the value of bagless therapy in your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest pros of doing the bagless therapy is that um, whatever you teach the parents or um, coach them through, if you use their own materials, then they still have those materials throughout the week every day to practice with their child. If you come in with a special toy that you then teach the parent how to work on a language skill with, but then you take it away, some parents will be able to easily translate that into a different activity or find a similar toy, or they might go out and buy the same toy. But other families will have a hard time with that. And they may not have that same resource to do the therapy with their child. And that can leave them feeling inadequate and not like they are their child's best teacher, which we feel like they are. Yeah, I get that with my families too, that they think um, a lot of my families will ask me about very specific toys or like this shiny new toy they've seen online. And it's like they think sometimes before they fully understand like the bagless approach that the toy is like the main thing that's about the therapy. um, Because like the toy is almost like what's going to cause the difference instead of like the coaching and the therapist and also the family using like the appropriate strategies to help facilitate language development. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I thought about something as Rollin was speaking about um, Child's Voices experience with the in-services. And I remember at the time when Kate, um, another one of our therapists, and I started working here, that um, we talked a little bit about how it was less new for us. And I know it's like less new or like not, we never really had to switch. And I know Jessica never really had to switch either because of 
it was built into our graduate program almost and like into my mentoring experience and my graduate studies and I'm sure you too Jessica Mm -hmm. so while you were in graduate studies or during that mentoring time was bagless therapy or a coaching model ever discussed um we did not do the bagless therapy when I was in graduate school we did do some parent coaching when I was working with families with hearing loss we definitely did coaching Mm -hmm. um but it was never something that I learned with like doing the bagless therapy approach we definitely learned to you know help families think about ways they could carry over a skill and might like brainstorm with them a similar toy they might have at home to work on a skill but um it was a like totally new thing for me when I switched to bagless here What about you, Jessica? Do you feel like you were coached or mentored? Definitely, definitely. I, well, one of my clinical experiences was actually here at Child's Voice in early intervention with um, a therapist who used to work here, Landon, and she um, was really good at parent coaching. And so that was definitely built into Mm -hmm. my, my training. I think it's rare to have an early intervention placement in graduate school, especially in the homes. So um, it was definitely a part of my a part of my mm-hmm. training, but specifically because I had this placement here yeah. at Child's Voice. So yeah, and I almost feel like the coaching model goes like so much hand in hand with auditory verbal therapy and the listening and spoken language um, approach. That even when I was in graduate studies, if I think back to my placements that were not focused on hearing loss, it was less, a lot less about parent coaching and a lot more child-directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember um, taking one of the oral rehab classes with Uma, and I remember at Vanderbilt, this is a professor, her name was Dr. Uma Solman, and she had this picture on, I vividly remember this, she had this picture on the PowerPoint screen that was a jar of marbles, and one marble was red and the rest of them were yellow, and she was like, gray or something I don't remember (laughs) and she said something like if you picture the number of hours of a child's day that they are spent spending with their family um those are all the marbles in the jar and if one of them is the hour that you spend coach or doing therapy with them um that has such little impact whereas if you teach the parent how to apply these strategies to all of the hours of the kid's day like think about how much more impactful that is uh, both for the child and for the parent to be an Mm -hmm. advocate for for their kids. I don't remember that, but that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So obviously bagless therapy is really important and coaching Mm -hmm. is awesome for a variety of reasons, but there are definitely challenges that go with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Do either of you, Roland and Laura, want to talk about some of the challenges of bagless therapy? I would say for me, one of the challenges goes back to um, with what Tatum was saying about not being you know, without having like the formal training that way and having been trained so many years ago, so much of my time was always very child directed. Mm -hmm. And now switching from being really child directed to being more parent directed is a harder switch, I think, for me, because I had worked for so long the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think, um, I mean, a lot of our families also see outside therapists too that might still do bag therapy. And so I think sometimes those can be um, more challenging families because they're seeing different forms of therapy. Um, So that can be kind of hard. So I've had families say to me, well, oh, this other therapist brings in toys. And, you know, my kiddo responds really well to that. Do you have a like a good response for that that doesn't 
that doesn't take away from what the other therapist is doing, but does help support what you're doing? Um, I usually kind of give that explanation, not necessarily of like the marble, <laughs> the specific marble explanation, but like the amount of hours mm-hmm. of like input that the family can then do if they know how to use their own toy to help their child versus me bringing in something and then taking it away. So I really try and build that up that like that's what like the research has shown now is like if parents are teaching their child and using those strategies throughout the day, that can be more effective. So I think it might be good to discuss what a typical bagless therapy session might look like and maybe why we're discussing it, kind of talk about how the coaching fits in. So maybe some listeners who are not familiar with this style of therapy can kind of imagine what it might be like. Yeah, it can look different session to session, and it can probably look different therapist to therapist, even if we're all using like the bagless approach. Usually or generally within my sessions, I'll have a listening, a speech and a language more focused activity. And then depending on where the family's at, if it's a new skill or an older skill, they might already kind of know how to work on this skill. And we might kind of bring out a similar target. Let's say like we want to work on the child's producing the ooh sound, like with one of my families last week, we played peekaboo and really inputted the ooh sound. But this week we stayed with the ooh sound and worked on like dropping blocks off of our heads and saying, ooh. (laughs) So like using a skill that, you know, they've already kind of seen what the the goal is, but Mm -hmm. then changing it so they have a new way of working on it. That might be one thing that we might do. So there can definitely be like carryover from one week to the next. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll also ask a family like for our language-based activity, like what type of words do they want their child to be understanding or using? And if they're having a hard time coming up with that off the top of their head, I might show them like a list of common early words that kids use and Mm -hmm. we might brainstorm together you know what might be good words for their child to start to learn and what could we do next time to work on this um, skill yeah for me I feel like it does vary by family like some families are at the level with the bagless coaching where I can come in with just a goal say I want to work on the P sound today and then they can come up with like a list of activities or I might at the level below that I might say I want to work on the P sound these are five words I can think of that start with the word the letter P or the sound P not letter (laughs) (laughs) and then they might be able to come up with toys that go with those words so they need like some more level of support or if I know that the family isn't like really at that place where they can brainstorm that far on their own I might provide like a second level of support or like another level of support and have um, like a list of toys that I already know the family owns. So like, let's work on the P sound. We could use your ball popper or bubbles or push cars. Which one do you want to do? And it just kind of depends. Like some families get to the point where like they can be really, really in charge of the session. And then some families just don't get to that point. Mm-hmm. What barriers do you see to families getting to that point? I mean, partially, I think some of it is me, like some families, um, I might just better understand how to coach certain families and other families. So um, just because we might mesh a little better. So I give them more opportunities to get to that point because I'm more willing to take their support away or like Mm -hmm. the scaffolding away. Um, And then some families, I definitely feel like 
the families who don't tend to get there are the families where other therapists are coming in with toys. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it might be me because I know in my head other therapists are coming in with toys. And that therapist, um, a therapist who comes in with toys might look more prepared because mm-hmm. they're not coming into the session and asking, like, what toy do you want to use or what activity should we do? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely mm-hmm. hard. Can you think of any other barriers? I think just to add to what Tatum was saying, I think with some parents, they really see the therapist, be it a teacher or a speech pathologist, as the expert mm-hmm. and and don't, you know, maybe that's like their own history with their, when they were educated themselves or they hold, you know, educate educators and school professionals in very high regard. And so they really feel like you should be the one mm-hmm. um, doing it. They don't feel confident in their own skills. So sometimes I think that's a hard thing to get past sometimes with families. I think some families too, if like they're earlier in like the diagnosis, um, like stage of things, like they're just finding out that their child has a hearing loss. They might not be as excited about therapy as like Mm -hmm. a family that's maybe like six months in where they can start to see like their child making progress and, get excited about, you know, having fun with their child um, to work on listening and language. So I think those families that like kind of see the fun in like therapy and like working with their child um, kind of take on like the responsibility a little bit more than some of the families that just aren't quite, you know, there yet. I think one thing too that I was thinking about before when Laura was talking, and I think this is something that can prevent some barriers. I think when I, one thing I remember Kristen talking a lot about in the beginning was when you first start working with the family and it's a new family, mm-hmm. you're going to spend a lot of time in the beginning, maybe talking about what are the family's goals? What do they mm-hmm. want their child to be doing at home? And Laura said this, you were, Laura was had said earlier about asking the family, like, what kinds of words do you want your mm-hmm. child to use? So I think a lot in the beginning is just really getting to know the family, getting to know like what their goals are for their child, getting to know like what are their baby's favorite things to do or what are the family's favorite things to do, what mm-hmm. routines do they have, and then doing kind of like an inventory of what they have. What what toys do they have at home? What books do they have at home? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes if you can get to know the family, well, this, again, this is just me from really observing the therapists and just sort of thinking about this, I sort of think if you can do all of that in the beginning and get to know them and get to know the goals, that's going to help you to, to come up with good bagless activities for them. I think at the beginning too, sometimes I'll say like when, before I've even met the family, when I'm scheduling with them, um, just so you know, <laughs> I don't bring in a bag of toys. So I really want like you and your child and what you have already, just so that they know before I even get there that I'm mm-hmm. not going to come in with a bag. Um, I don't, I don't know if that necessarily helps or not, but it makes me feel better <laughs> about yeah. going into the session mm-hmm. with it without um, a bag of toys and then doing all of those things mm-hmm. that you just explained mm-hmm. in terms of asking a lot of questions and trying to get to know the family. Yeah, I tried to define, um, I don't know if I use the word bagless, but just define what therapy will look like. Mm-hmm. I haven't started with a new family in a while, so I haven't done this in a while, but I think I also asked them, like, what are your expectations for therapy and see what they say. Um, and a lot of times they say, like, oh, you're going to come in and, like, bring toys and, like, 
um, work with the child in the corner. Well, not the corner, but <laughs> it comes off like that. Like, I'll, I'll just be over here with the kid. And sometimes it's even been with, like, like babies. I'm like, I can't be with your baby in the corner. <laughs> like, and then just, like, contrasting, like, their expectation versus, like, oh, this is what it will actually be like. So I'm kind of validating, like, what they thought it might have been um, and talking with them and having a discussion about, like, what it will be like. Um, and I find that that helps with most families. It's much harder when they're already in EI or early intervention and they have another therapist. When it's like that, I feel like I do – I more so, like, when I'm starting to schedule, I mention right away that I'm not going to be bringing a bag um, and do less about the expectation because I don't want to – contrast my session too much with other therapists on the team because I don't want it to come off as if um, I'm judging other kinds of therapy styles. Sometimes I just say like, oh, there's more than one therapy style and I do this way. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say that's good too, to give the parent what the expectation is in advance. So we talked about like the difficulties of like not bringing in a toy, um, being bagless. Do you guys find any difficulties like with just like the coaching aspect of itself? I can think of one for me just being like a younger therapist who does not have kids. Sometimes I worry that I'm going in and telling the family how to change their way of interacting with their child when I myself do not have kids. Can you think of, are there any challenges that you run in with that? I would say yes, in the sense that I think working with an adult um, is so different from working with a child. How a child learns is so different from mm -hmm. how an adult learns. Um, and so I think for those of us who weren't really trained in, in adult learning styles, it's hard because you really have to think about things much differently. It has to be things that are, you know, very practical, things that they can really like incorporate right away. So mm -hmm. I think that is one thing that is challenging as well about the parent coaching. Yeah. I mean, I think um, no one wants to be like told for an hour, like what to do too. Um, so like the more I feel like I just try and give families lots and lots of positive reinforcement, like for even like the littlest thing, just so you can really like build them up so that then they are, you know, when you do give them a change to make, then you know, they can feel confident in doing that too. Um, so I think that just takes a while to kind of build that rapport with families too, so that, you know, the more positive they feel about like therapy, that the more they'll want to kind of come up with their own ideas and participate more and more. So like, I think that's one change I've kind of made um, with the coaching is trying to like, you know, give more positive feedback with it too. Um, so that you don't feel like you're just telling them what to do all the time. Yeah. I've learned that from you specifically, and I've seen it be really beneficial to the therapy that I'm providing. It's just like praise, 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 praise. So that when you do have like a piece of feedback, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like you're saying, Oh, you're not good at this. Like you're not supposed to be good at this. Nobody, you're not born with a manual on how to be a parent. And you're certainly not born with a manual or you don't have a child with a manual on how to teach them how to listen and talk. So sometimes I'll ask families a question and the, they'll get concerned that they didn't know the answer. And I try to tell them like, you're not supposed to know the answer. Like that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. So um, taking off some of that pressure and really giving them a lot of positive feedback is helpful. I think too, one of the things that I have a hard time with is the 
the sort of standard for how to do coaching is you explain the goal and then you explain the activity and then you do the activity and then you have the parent try the activity and then you talk about how it went afterwards Mm -hmm. and then continue and it's a lot of talking and with an early intervention kids get distracted because Mm -hmm. they're too so (laughs) so I find that that's a struggle that I am constantly coming up against um, is trying to figure out how to pace myself in terms of when to talk more and when to Mm -hmm. just put it aside and come back to it later when the kiddo is more distracted like at the end of a session or something yeah that's a huge thing When I'm like coaching families, I think about back to, I had this one really good supervisor in graduate school named Stacey Adams, and she works at Sunshine Cottage School for the Deaf. And I just think about how she coached me to do therapy um, and like the level of support that she used in the beginning and how she gradually took that support away. She did, at the very beginning, she did a lot of embedded um, coaching. So like while I was doing an activity, she was giving me minor things to change Or, like, at the very beginning, she might even be telling me literally what to say as I was about to say it, which some families, I do think, need that level of support sometimes. Obviously, like, with our families, we never take the coaching away. Um, But that's I just think about, like, how I learned Mm -hmm. um, because she was by far my best supervisor in grad school. Um, Rollin was glaring from across the table. I've had several good supervisors. <laughs> Is there any other like topics that we feel like we should cover? I was just, the, uh-huh. the one thing I was going to add to it, and Laura made me think of this when she was talking about coaching the parent, really like building up their confidence. I heard one um, other um, therapist that I used to work with talk about it when she first started to work with a family she'd spend a little bit of time really talking about um, the partnership that was going to take place between the therapist Mm -hmm. and the parent and the way she explained it which I always really liked was she told the parent you know you're the expert on um, your child and you're going to tell me everything that I need to know about your family and your child's likes and your child's Mm -hmm. strengths and I'm the expert on hearing loss so I'm going to teach you what you might need to know about hearing devices listening skill development language development and we're going to take both those areas of expertise and kind of combine them together while we're doing this Um, I thought that was like a really great way to explain it and kind of like a good way of starting off that partnership with families. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to start using that. Yay, we're learning. Yay, Um. learning. (laughs) The one other thing that I've seen that's different that I think is, is a really good change is I've noticed that with our therapists, even their work in the center has changed and become more parent focused. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. I get to see Tatum doing a variety of like home-based sessions and I've seen Tatum do a lot of um, sessions as well in the center and even though in the center it's more it is more therapist directed in the sense that it's using the toys that we have um, and things like that Tatum still does it really with the parent playing a big part of the process so Mm -hmm. even then you're still coaching the parent through how to do some of these activities, having the parent be a part of it. And then I know you always spend time too with the parent asking, how could you carry this over at home? Yeah, that took longer to learn how to do that in a a center-based session, just because when you're at home, you can look around and literally see what the parents could come up with. And you've seen more of their daily routines and know what they look like. So it took me, probably only recently did I start, have I started remembering 
all to do that <laughs> in the center. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot, but hopefully it's empowering parents. Mm. Um, and that's really our goal is that they walk out of the center mm. feeling like they learned something too and that they are able to help their child more than than they're already doing by being awesome parents. So um, that's really that's the goal, right? I think that is a good note to end on. I think so too. <laughs> Should we wrap things up? Sure. Uh, Rowland and Laura, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great discussion and I think we all learned something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed getting to be a guest. <laughs> Me too. Yay. Um, <laughs> listeners, we would love to hear from you. So from our parents who are listening, please um, let us know like what style of therapy your children are receiving. And for therapists out there, tell us what your experience is with bagless therapy. What training or education um, have you received when it comes to going bagless? Or is this all new to you? So we'd love to hear um, from you guys. Um, Thank you to everyone for joining us for another episode of All Ears at Child's Voice. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. And as always, we're on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm at at Tatum Fritz SLP and Jessica is at at Jessica Brock SLP. (laughs) You can also email us at podcast at childsvoice.org and find episode show notes and archived episodes at Child's Voice's website, childsvoice.org. And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, the uh, the program, Child's Voice is on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. <laughs> we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 And from our friends at Child's Voice. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.